Matthew 25. I want to read this to you, though, chapter, beginning in chapter 1. Uh, Jesus, by the way, is teaching. He teaches in parables quite often. Parables are, are sort of make-up stories, allegory kind of stories um, to communicate a deeper truth about the kingdom. So anytime where he talks about uh, when he says the kingdom is like or the kingdom of heaven will be like, you know he's about to tell a parable. So this is one of those, Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like Ten And when he says at that time, he's talking about the end times. That's what the context of, of chapter 24 was. So he's, in, he's talking about the, the end times, the end of days. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but not, did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So he's talking about, of course, in, 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 the, in the context, a lamp was, it was your source of light. It was a clay thing, and you put oil in it, it had a little wick that hangs out, and you would light it, and you would carry it around, no flashlights, none of those, no, you didn't have a phone with the app on it, you had an oil lamp, and, you know, much like your candles at your house, whenever the wax or the oil runs out, your light dies, because that's what it burns, so... These virgins were, uh, the, these, these, um, the, these ten, um, think of them as like maids of honor, you know, um, getting ready for, for the wedding feast. Uh, the, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. So whatever they had in their lamp, they, that's all they had. And then the wise ones, not only did they have their lamps full, they also had some extra oil with them. So the, um, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. So adjust that wick, you know, let's get it fired up, let's turn it on, let's go. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. This, this is a little bit, um, flies in the face of what we try to teach our children to share. You know, it's like, you tell them to share, but then they read this, and these, these wise ones are not sharing at all. They're like, no, sorry, you go get your own. Go to the market, go to Walmart and buy some. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. We pray over us. We're going to unpack a little bit of this. So, Father, we, just, we bless your name and we bless your word pray that your word, Lord, would come alive and bring transformation and illumination. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to respond to you. Amen. For the longest time, I interpreted this parable um, simply to, to be about the saved and the unsaved. 
meaning that the, the, the virgins who were wise were the ones who had a relationship with the Lord and the ones who were unwise did not have a relationship with the Lord and they weren't ready for it. I don't, I don't think, there's probably a, some degree of truth in that, but I don't, <clears throat> I don't think that's the, the depth of what the Lord is talking about. Because in reality, all 10 of these were um, belonging to the bridal party. All 10 of these were supposed to be in the presence of Jesus in those last days. But some were not, some were not ready to, 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 to be a part of what he had. And it doesn't say anything to do with sin or rebellion or disbelief. It's just a matter of being unprepared with oil in the lamp. I think what this is about is cultivating an intimacy with the Lord that's going to sustain us through the days ahead. I believe that every everyone has a lamp that represents your heart and your ministry and your calling and your place in the kingdom. And the Lord has filled that up with oil. And you're meant to burn. You're meant to, 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 to be light. And you're meant to be salt. You're meant to be out in the darkness. But there's also something deeper in this parable that says the time is going to come when, when, when you're not when, when your oil lamps are going to be dim and you're going to have to be replenishing those. And now is the season to be replenishing your oil to have to make sure your lamps are full of the oil of intimacy. And right now, in our day and age, it's really easy to find other people's oil for our lamps. It's easy to go to podcasts or to conferences or to books or to YouTube videos and to sort of eat off of other people's intimacy with the Lord, to feed off of their, their own encounters with the Lord. But I think the time is going to come when, uh, when we won't have that to draw on. We're going to have to be going deep into our own reservoirs of intimacy. God is, I believe God is calling his bride to ask him for fresh oil to have an overflow of fresh oil of intimacy in this time to come. Here's why I think that. Um, I want to skip ahead like one chapter. In chapter 26, Jesus, um, in verse 6, these, these few verses, he tells an account of Jesus being in the town of Bethany at a home of a guy named Simon. And there, Matthew says that a woman comes to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. We know from John 12 that her name is Mary. Mary, the, the, the sister of Martha, the brother of Lazarus. These were all dear, dear friends of Jesus. They lived in Bethany. Matthew doesn't mention her by name, but he mentions what she does. There's a, there's a table there, and Jesus is eating with his friends, and Mary comes up to him. And as he's laying there, she brings open an alabaster flask, and she begins to un, sort of unseal it, and she begins to anoint his head with this oil. And the disciples see this, and they're indignant. They're just, they're getting angry, <laughs> you know. 
Why, why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. They're thinking strategically. They're thinking, um, you know, very pragmatically. They're ministry-minded. They're thinking about the poor. They're thinking about the church. They're, they're, they're good deacons, you know. It's like, hey, we've got bills to pay. We've got things to do. Let's not waste Let's not waste this money. And this was a lot of money. This was a, a tremendous expense that has just been poured out. And some scholars say that, that, that of course, the spices like this or, and oils like this would have been used for burial. Um, and a, at such a cost, at such a cost, it's possible that this is also Mary's only um, her only uh, sort of source of, of provision in her in her in her days. This could have been her dowry. She's she's not married, but this could be the only sort of source of of um, of wealth that she has in the world. And she takes it and she breaks it and she pours it on. The disciples get mad. They're thinking, look at all the things that we could do for the kingdom. Why this? And aware of this, Jesus says to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. He rebukes them. <laughs> The poor you will always have with me, but you will not always have me. The poor are always going to be here. There's always going to be ministry needs. There's always going to be things to do. But right now, you're not always going to have me right here with you. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I think Mary of Bethany, she's learning this, this principle that Jesus was talking about before, uh, pouring out her oil of intimacy and allowing the Lord to refill that, replenish it. Jump over to Luke 10. This is the same Mary. We see another side of her too. We see what, what's going on inside of her heart that causes her to do this. Luke chapter 10, at the very end of the chapter, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Isn't that beautiful? How much more, how much more do I need to be in that place? Just sitting at the Lord's feet listening to what he says. And there's so many things to do. There's so many things to do for Mary to do. You can see it. This is all about the Martha Mary sort of paradox. Martha wants to serve. She wants to do ministry. She wants to take care of needs. Those are all good things. Those are all beautiful things. But Mary gets it. She knows, listen, we're not always going to have Jesus in our living room. We're not always going to have that, that, that intimacy with the Lord, the chance to hear his heart face to face and to ask him and for him to minister us. We, the, the house is always going to, there's always going to be another mess to clean up. But right now, we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords right here next to us. And she sits at his feet and she's listening to everything that he's, everything that he's saying. It's like you couldn't pull Mary away if you tried to. The house would be on fire and she's just... Stuck there, transfixed and listening. Martha's distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She comes to him. She comes to Jesus. And says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Man. 
Lord answers. He says, Martha, you're worried and upset. You're in turmoil about many things. But few things are needed, indeed only one. Boy, I'll be honest with you. I, that, if, I could, if I can latch onto one thing, that's it for me and my own life in 2022. I get worried and upset about many things. How do I take care of my family? How do I get more money for my business? How do I pay the mortgage? How do I keep kids healthy? What do I do about their schooling situation? What do I do about my, my widowed mom and her, her situation? On and on and on. How do, I, how do I lead the church? How do I equip you know, uh, leaders? And how do I make disciples? How do we do all these other different kind of things? And just on and on it goes. And you know, just kind of look around my house. I gotta fix this thing. I gotta fix that thing. That thing is broken. I, my, you know, my fence is falling apart outside. And just, it's a never-ending list of things that need to be done. And my default is to slip into Mary mode, or Martha mode, rather. Lord, don't you care that I have all this stuff and I have no help? Can't you send me some help? Can't you send me some more money so I can fix all of these things? Can't you send me some more people so that I can da-da-da-da-da? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care, Lord? I feel like the Lord's saying to me, he's like, easily, listen, there's, there's many things that you can worry about, and they're all legitimate. But there's, really, there's, there's just a few that's really, and, and, and honestly, easily, there's really just one thing that's needed. Right now, there's one thing that's needed. Is this still cutting out a lot? All right. You want to help grab me another mic or no? Let's see if it works. Good deal. Thank you, Skylar. And Mary, he says this, Mary's chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. And the Matthew 25 principle and the Matthew 26 principle and the Psalm 27 principle, they all are saying the same thing. There's one thing that's needed. There's one source of oil for us, and that's intimacy with the Lord. That's nearness to the Lord. That's closeness to the Lord. David says this. Uh, Val read it earlier, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask the Lord, this only do I seek. One thing, this only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Isn't it, isn't it, it's, think about who David is as he writes this. He is the most successful military leader that Israel's ever known. He is their most successful, influential king that they've ever known. He has expanded the kingdom in ways that no one could ever have imagined. He's taken them from a small nomadic tribe of nobodies to being the dominant military force in the Near East, in the ancient Near East. And he's got hundreds of thousands of soldiers at his disposal. He's got hundreds of millions of dollars at his disposal. He's got wives and concubines at his disposal. Yet he sits and he says, you know what I really want? I don't, want, I don't want a bigger army. I don't want more influence. 
I don't, I don't want more wives. I don't want more riches. You know what I really want? I, there's really one thing that I would love to spend the rest of, and it's almost like he reverts back to those days in the pasture, back before everything sort of just swept him away into God's plan, back before Samuel came and anointed him with oil to be king. He remember, I think he remembers those days of just being alone out there with his, with his, with his harp, with his lyre, with the sheep around him, and he's just worshiping and singing songs to, this, to, to, the, to the God who has been so close to him. And now King David is saying, you know, there's really just, that's the one thing I've always wanted is just to be near to the Lord and just to see how beautiful he is, just to watch him and hear his voice day after day. And he writes that out, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I gotta be, I, I gotta be honest with you, there's, there's I, you know, I'm 45 years old. I've been a believer since I was 14 years old. And I wonder how, how very few have I ever stopped and just thought how beautiful the Lord is, how beautiful, and just wanting to look at him. It's like that doesn't describe, that doesn't describe my history with the Lord, doesn't describe my spiritual life, probably doesn't describe the spiritual lives of many in churches. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, what does that mean? That sounds like something that the, that the monastics do or the, you know, the, the, the Christian mystics do. You know, we want to do things for the Lord. We want to see his, his, his power manifest. You know, we want to do evangelism and win the lost and build churches and go on missions and do all these other kind of things. That's all good. But I wonder if we've kind of, if we're not careful, we'll lose that first thing that God calls us to do, and that's to look at me, to look at him, to see him as he is. He says that about the church of Ephesus, Revelation 2.4, church of Ephesus. He has good things to say about the church of Ephesus. It's a real church with real people like you and me. He's got good things to say about them. Look at all the things that you've done. You've done this. Good job, guys. You've done this. Good job, guys. Church of Ephesus, you've done this. Good job, guys. But there's one thing I have against you. You've lost your first love. Man. Man. Man, what if, what if, what if the Spirit of God wrote letters to our churches today? To some of our big successful churches? All the great things that they've done. That how many pastors like me would be grieved to hear the Lord say, you've done a great thing, you're incredible, you're the fastest growing church in the U.S., you've raised hundreds of millions of dollars and this, 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 and this, but I got, I got to tell you one thing, you don't love me the way that you used to. So uh, I think what the Lord is challenging me to in 2022 is a renewed, a renewed cultivation of, of intimacy. And Song of Solomon has a different word for it. I want to read this to you too. If this is not touchy-feely enough for you, hold up. <laughs> Some of the guys are like, all right, this is getting... Oil of intimacy, that just sounds really touchy-feely. It's all right. Song of Solomon. Yes, we are. I need Sasha here. Sasha would just be 
falling on the floor. Sasha, we love you. This is, this is your book right here. <laughs> Song of Solomon. It's, it's the story and the poetry of the beloved and her lover. And there's all kind of emotion mixed up in these pages. There's a lot of longing because the beloved is not with her lover. Listen to this longing. Chapter 3, all night long on my bed. I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I will now get up and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed him when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. She goes on, page after page. Chapter 5. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bowl. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. Goes on to say, verse 8, daughters of Zion, I charge you. If you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I'm faint with love. Tell him I'm lovesick. I want us to cultivate lovesickness for the bridegroom in 2022. I want us to discover new oil of intimacy for the Lord in this new year. I'll tell you what lovesickness is not. It is not church attendance. It is not doctrinal agreement. It is not emotional connection to a song, which I love. I love songs. I love this. I am emotionally connected with that song. It's not intellectual understanding. It's not a commitment to a church family. You're committed to one another. I know, I know you are. That's not lovesickness for the bridegroom, though. And I want to say lovesickness is not even a commitment to Jesus as we understand it in evangelicalism. We can be committed to Jesus and not be lovesick for the bridegroom. Lovesickness is a, it's a deep, deep hunger 
for the depths of God's own heart. Lovesickness is when all of you, all of you, longs for all of him. Longs for all of him. Hungers for it. Thirsts for it. Desires it. And I'm convinced, you know, Matthew 25, that's an end time parable. He's talking about that in 24. I believe, I believe, and most in the church would believe that we are in final days. No one knows. I don't know. I, d- I don't believe that it's centuries away. Things are escalating and the signs are escalating quickly. The biggest of those signs is the nation of Israel being formed and not 60, 70 years ago. It's a pretty profound sign that points to the return of Christ. In this season, though, the need for oil of intimacy will be so profound that those without it, I'm afraid, will be lost in the night. Without that intimate connection to the Lord, that connection with the Holy Spirit, that sense that I belong to Him, He is my beloved. I am his and he is mine. The pressures of the days to come will be too great and many will fall away without that. And I believe that the Lord wants to cultivate, cultivate the lovesickness in our hearts and a groan in our hearts and a cry in our hearts for more of him. Even if many other things that are good don't happen, A sense that the Lord is saying, look, if you have to choose two things, serving me out of busyness or sitting at my feet with your alabaster heart broken open, the Lord says, choose this right now. There's one thing that matters. says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to, I want to urge you in this new year to take steps to cultivate love for him in your own heart, in your own family. Do that. Get away. Get away. Make the time each day to get away and begin to hear the voice of the Lord in your own heart, in your own mind. Do it. It will not get easier. It will not be convenient. There will be a thousand distractions, especially as you commit to begin to hear the voice of the beloved in your own heart. The enemy will throw a thousand more distractions your way. He will. Set yourself time aside each day, not just for the, the, not just for the, the rigid discipline of, of, of Bible study, but just to, to begin to cultivate hearing what God is saying to you and about you and responding likewise.
And it takes some time if you've never, if you've not done that, if you've not practiced hearing the voice of the Lord. It can be a little daunting. It can be a little discouraging. You know, it's like, I don't hear anything. I just feel like I'm saying words. It's all right, because the Lord honors faith, and the Lord wants to be heard by you, and he wants to speak to you. He wants to minister his voice to you. So some things that I've done in the past, I just have a, I have a notebook, an empty notebook and a pen. I've got some questions. I'll be glad to share some of those with you just to kind of begin, you know, just begin to asking the Lord, Lord, where are you? Where are you right now? Begin to visualize in your, in your, in your spirit, in your imagination, where is the Lord? What's he doing? Who is he ministering to? Who is he talking to? What is he saying about that person? What is he saying about you? Begin to write down some of the things that you hear the Lord saying. Take it and compare it to what you know in Scripture. Sometimes we'll write stuff down like, yeah, that's not right at all. That's weird. It's okay. You're going to compare it to the Word. You're going to bring it back to Scripture. Begin to write down some of the things that you hear because I believe that He wants to speak to you. Begin to cultivate just uh, an atmosphere of, of worship wherever you go. Those of you that are, Megan and I were talking about this, some, you know, some, some of us respond to to the music, to, to worship, to the music of worship in a powerful way. I think Emma and I are that way. I mean, obviously all of us are, you know, but some are just more, more intensely tuned in to, to how worship can move us into the presence of God. If that's you, just begin to cultivate that, that discipline day after day of just being moved into the throne room to hear the voice of the Lord, to, see what he, to hear what he says. Begin to step out and pray with others. Pray with, um, with other, other spiritual people that, that, that will hear the word of the Lord for you. Begin just to take delight in the Lord. Write down the things, the characteristics of God that he says. What does he say in his word about you? Read through Song of Solomon again. It's a love letter for the Lord to your heart. That's him. Begin to ask the Lord to um, just to reveal his beauty to you. If you pray, I said this before, if you pray the Psalms back to God, you can't go wrong. God has given us his word here as if to say, church, here's what you can pray to me. The, the, the disciples say that in, in Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray. They don't say that about anything else. They don't say it, Lord, teach us how to preach, teach us how to build a church, teach us how to do ministry, teach us, don't say any, does, the only thing he says about us, teach us how to pray. It's almost like we need to learn how to pray. And he gives us some things to say back. When you pray, here, here, here's, here's a formula, here's something to say. It's not the only way, it's not the only words that we can pray. But the, the, praying the word back to God is just, it's a beautiful thing, because you know you know you're already in, in, in rhythm and sync with what the Lord wants. So go back and begin to pray Psalm 27. Lord, I just pray you would give us one thing. Let one thing take root in my heart and in my children's heart and in this church. One thing, Lord. Help us to seek one thing that we may dwell in the house of the Lord. Lord, your house is not this building. Lord, we're not asking to, to come to church 24-7. That's not what we're asking for. 
but we want to be in your presence. To be in your presence. To be in your presence all the days of our life, Lord. I pray tomorrow morning that your church will wake up within a fresh awareness that your presence is around us. Well, we're in the car, we're in the minivan, we're in the SUV, we're in the car, whatever we're doing, we're at, we're at a house or at our school, wherever we're going, we would just be aware that the presence of the Lord is there. We want to dwell there, we want to be there. Not only, Lord, just to be in your presence, we want to see you as you truly are. We want to be caught up with who you truly are. We want to see how beautiful you are, Lord. To gaze upon you, Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek you in your temple. And we just begin to pray that. We begin to pray Psalm 27 and the other Psalms, Lord. It's amazing that the Lord wants to answer that. He's like, okay, you're asking for it. I'm going to give it to you. Begin to pray. Song of Songs 3.3. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Father, help me to pursue you, the one whom my heart loves. Help me to love you more. Cultivate, Lord, love sickness in our hearts. Cultivate, Lord, intimacy. Just begin to ask the Lord for oil of intimacy. In fact, let's just do that now. Jim, where are you? Would you come on up? Let's just play just some gentle, gentle music here, keys, and we're just going to keep it low key and let's just ask the Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Father, we want to be found ready. We don't know when you will return. We don't know the day or the hour. But we want to be found ready, Lord. We want to have our lamps and our bowls full, Lord, not of someone else's oil, not of the oil of, of, of the, uh, the most recent podcast or book or conference or sermon or hit song that we've heard, God. We want fresh oil, Lord, that's our own that comes from you. Do fill us, Lord, with that. Lord, and some of us, oh, some of us, we've, we've not known the intimacy that you offer. Even now, Lord, these words seem strange and unfamiliar. If that's you, church, just by faith, it ask him. Ask him to, to, to reveal himself deeper, beyond just your intellect, beyond just the, the ascent of your heart, but to a deeper, a root level deep inside. Ask him to show himself that way. There's a reason that, that the Bible presents so much of reality as a, as a love story. It's a divine romance. I'm not making this up. That's what it is. It began, the, the story of God begins with a divine romance where the bride of Adam was taken out of his side and they were placed together. And in the work of Jesus, Lord, his own side was pierced and out of the blood that flowed from his side another bride was taken and our revelation of your word ends Lord with the marriage feast of the lamb the wedding feast of the lamb
where the lovesick heart is fulfilled. Where there's no more wandering the streets saying, have you seen my beloved? Well, we will look on the face of the one who loves us. With unveiled faces, we'll look. Unveiled faces, we'll see. And Jesus, we have not seen you, but we know you. And we want to be known by you. Come on, church, just begin to ask him for fresh oil. Just begin to do that. Just begin to do that. Begin to ask him for that. Give word to it. Speak it aloud. Ask him for that. Ask him. If you've seen the one my heart loves, if you find him, tell him I am faint with love. Father, I pray you would just give love sickness to your church. Faint heartedness of adoration for you, Lord. Lord, we want to sit at your feet. We want to take our alabaster hearts and break them open and pour our love upon your feet, our love upon your head, Lord. Lord, your word says those who have been forgiven much, love much. Lord, sometimes we forget how loved we are, Lord, because we forget of the chain, forget the chains that you've taken us, that you've taken off of us. So, Father, I pray, Lord, don't I, I don't want you to take us back, Lord, to the days of shame and brokenness, but I do, Lord, want just to, that you will reveal to us, Lord, where you have brought us from. And how deeply, Lord, we've been forgiven. How much we've been set free, Lord. I think of my own past, in my own life, of what you've done, Lord. Things that I thought were impossible, Lord, you've moved me through into new seasons. I thank you for that, Lord. There's one thing, Lord, one thing we need. One thing we ask, Lord. Jesus. Jesus. 